Uh, we talked about our trust relationship there in the uh, sound booth. <laughs> what? What was the problem? No, don't even, don't even try it. It's been working the whole time. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's stand and let's have prayer. While you're standing, I want you to move into the center aisle. There's just too few of us to be spread out all over the sanctuary. Move right on in the center. I'm looking at at least 20 people can sit right in here, right here. And I want to be able to touch you. Fill on in right here before we pray. Let's fill on in. Come on. Come on. I know you're in your favorite seat. I know you're comfortable in the wings. But come on, slide, slide to the center. Oh, bless your heart. You are so, it's such a cooperative group. Amen. Is there any extra credit they'll take? They should be able to get the credit just for moving when the pastor tells them to move. Now, now when you come, stand for prayer. Yes, very good, very good. Ah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's pray now. Father, we ask, as we study the Bible, and that's all we're doing, studying the Bible, your word says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Work with not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're trying to do, trying to rightly divide the word. God, we can't do that except your spirit is with us. We are wasting our time if we're coming just to hear what Myron has to say. God, we, we are here to hear what thus saith the Lord. Now, this thing can't happen unless your spirit is with us. I don't know what the word is going to do. I don't know what your purpose for it is tonight, to whom, what situation and circumstance, how you want it to come across. For each one of us comes from a different experience and circumstance. But I do know one thing. Each one of us in here, there is a word for us tonight, including myself. And I ask right now, God, in the name of Jesus, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak to us. If you just speak a word, God, then we know that something special can happen in here. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen, amen. and amen. Now high five your neighbor and say, let's go, let's go. Come on, high five. Let's go, let's go. Let's go. All right. Very good. Some of y'all, I never high five a day in your life. It's good to see you do it. Oh, okay. All right. Ah, yes. All righty. All right. Can you hear me now? Wonderful. If you want the sermons via the internet, go to our website. It's right there. And it's in your handout as well. Let's review. Let's review. Are you ready to go? Have you, do you have pens? Ready to write some stuff? Got pens? Some of you need this information. How many sections to the book of Revelation? Three. All right. The introduction and the conclusion say what? Say what? what? Jesus is what? Jesus is what? Jesus is coming. Second coming. Same thing. Good job. Uh, and I liken, I liken the, the way that Revelation is designed unto a what? Come on. Now, y'all remember this? What's the analogy? I said the book is written like a what? It's like a good sandwich. You got, you got, you got, you got bread on the outside and you got your meat in the middle. And the meat here is first the messages to the seven churches. What two things? What are the two messages to the seven churches? Huh? Two messages, really. Bottom line, you look at every one, huh? Repent, be faithful. That's it. Repent, be faithful. Repent, be faithful. That's God's word for you, to repent and be faithful. Every last one of you, including myself, repent, all of us. You never get to a point where you don't need to stop repenting. You're not that special. <laughs> Uh, and be faithful. How many know you need to hear that? How many just need encouragement every now and then? Be faithful. Hang in there. 
Don't throw in the towel. You can make it. That's the word of God. And then uh, as you get to chapters 4 and onward, there is a scroll and the releasing of the seals. There are seven seals in there, and these, uh, these reveal to us uh, seven, uh, seven, seven cataclysmic events that have happened up to the coming of the Lord. It's a historical perspective on the church. Now, the whole point of this section is to get us to where we can see what's inside this scroll And if you've gotten a chance to read through the book of Revelation already, you already know exactly what I'm talking about. In Revelation chapters 12 through the end of the book is the inside or the contents. Somebody say the contents. Contents of this scroll. And there was a most important section there, and that section is in Revelation 14, 6 through 12. How many angels are there, everybody? There are three angels. And what are they doing? They're flying. Uh, Those three angels, who are they? I said this on the first night, so this, is a, this will be a good question. Who are, who are the angels? Anybody know who they are? Uh, the Greek word for angels, I put that on the screen. I know I did. Greek word for angel uh, means what? Messenger. The angels are not angels. They're actually symbolic, uh, symbolic representations of who we are supposed to be, what we are supposed to be doing, all right? Uh, how many didn't know that? How many glad to hear that tonight? That's us. So God is saying, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be flying high spiritually. Come on, say amen. Amen. And the message that he gives us is so special that it takes us to new levels and new heights with him. Say amen. Amen. And these angels basically teach us how to do what? How to do what? How to do what? I ain't everybody yet. How to do what? That was 75% of you. How to do what? All right, that's 85%. Give me 100. How, How to do what? Thank you very much. And now the young folk talking trash downstairs. They said, we got it going on down there. They said, y'all folk up there don't got it going on. Show these folk that before, they were, they, before there was such thing as cool, we had cool. Come on, say amen. They don't even know what cool is. We, we wrote the book on cool. Come on, somebody. Ah, so they teach us how to be ready. Flight truth number six, heaven on earth. Just a quick uh, a review of this. Look at the text. The Bible says that I saw, come on, another angel, come on together, flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Here's the part we're focusing on, and here's a call to do what? And to worship who? To worship who? Him who did what? made the heavens and earth. So in a short, in a, in a, in a very sim- simplistic way, how would we say that? It's a call to worship who? God. God. But what, what God specifically has it identified? The God who created. It's a call back to creation. Call back to the way God intended. Let me just throw this out here real quick. You might want to write this down. God is trying to get us back to where he, he's trying to get everything back to the way he started it. One day, we're going to get right back to the way Genesis, the first two chapters are. That's his goal, to get us right back to the way Adam and Eve were. That's where we're headed. And as a matter of fact, on Thursday night, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you what God is trying to get us to. Whereas we're going to talk about heaven. Come on, say amen. And hell. Got to talk about both of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the goal is to get us our attention back on the creator. And back on creation. Somebody say creation. Yeah. There's a reason, by the way, why there's all this talk about evolution now. And for most of you, y- y'all don't believe it. You know, it don't make no difference. I mean, how many, how many, that stuff doesn't make any difference to you. It doesn't, doesn't have any influence on you. It doesn't have any influence on me. But there are people. There are people who are believing this. There are people who are believing this. They're believing that, that the creation of God is in question. 
Now, we went back to Eden, did we not? And the text we looked at was that God created man in his own what? He created man in his own image. And he created man in his own image more than just in appearance, but in his capacity to understand the things of God. Genesis 1 uh, says that he created everything, and when he created everything, he looked back and said it was what? The way God set things up at creation was the way God wanted it, and it's the way God's going to get it back. Period. And then on the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1, Thus together the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were what? When God was finished creation, then after how many days did God finish creation? Six days God finished creation. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Y'all remember I sang that song to you? Yeah, man. It took God six days to create, create the heavens and the earth. And the good news about that is six days he created all of this. But he's patient enough to work with you. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all been, been fooling around for more than six days. Come on, say amen. Some of us have been doing it for 60 years, but he's still with you. Come on. He's still working on you. And on the seventh day, God did what? He ended his what? He ended his work. Six days he created. Six days he was at work. Six days he was blessing. Six days he was creating. Six days he was working. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says, who rested? Did the Jews rest? Uh, did the seventh-day Adventists rest? No, the Bible says he rested. Ah, uh, come on now. Whatever God does, we ought to be trying to do what he does. He's our example. Come on, say amen. Preacher ain't your example. Your tradition ain't your example. At the end of the day, whatever God does, uh, I'm trying to follow what he does. Come on, say amen. We're going to talk about that tonight. And on the seventh day, he rested from what he did. Verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The purpose of the Sabbath, we share with you with three things. Number one. Uh, rest, right? Number two, a day of blessing, because he blessed it. Number three, he sanctified. It's a day for holiness. It's a day to get close to God. Would you say amen? Ah, uh, now, remember Exodus 20. This is the text where God is talking to what group of people? The Jews. What group of people is God talking to when he's, when he's uh, Exodus 20? Anybody know? Y'all know the Exodus. The Exodus is the Exodus out of where? Egypt. They're coming out of Egypt. So he's talking to the people who were in Egypt, who were in bondage. And that group of people were the Hebrews, uh, the Semites, the Jews. All right. And so God said, remember, if God said, remember that, does that mean he's introducing something new? No. What does that mean? He's, he's doing what? He's reminding them of something that has always what? That's always been. And so we see the Sabbath is not a new concept. The Sabbath is as old as God. Come on, say amen. Nowhere in the Bible is the seventh day called the Sabbath of the Jews. Exodus 20.10 says the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? Whose day does it belong to? It's his. It's not the Adventists. It ain't the Jews. It ain't the seventh-day Baptists. It's not the seventh-day Pentecostals. It belongs to God. It's his day. Would you say amen? Mark 2.27 says that the Sabbath was made for what? And not man for the Sabbath. God made it for us, but it's his day. Come on, say amen. Like, you know, my dad used to tell me that, you know, uh, you know we, 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 we had our own bedrooms, you know, I had my own towels, you know. Uh, I had, I had, sometimes I had my old plate when I was little. Uh, but at the end of the day, whose house was I living in? <laughs> huh? Come on, somebody. Whose house was it? It's, it's my house. You know, I had, a, I had a car seat. You know, come on. I, had, I mean, I had, I had it all. Whose house was it? Had our own beds, his house. Do you understand? That's how the Sabbath works. It belongs to him, but he's created it for our, for our blessing. Come on, say amen. 
And the issue that we preached on this last time, we wanted to bring this Sabbath from a different approach. The approach we came from was that it's a lifestyle necessity. You need the Sabbath. God made it to bless your life. Don't diss what God does. And most of y'all are right here. Come on, say amen. You got to have that thing. Now if, now, if perfect people needed the Sabbath, don't you think you needed it? When God gave the Sabbath to Adam and Eve, they were perfect. If they're perfect and they needed it, don't you think you need it? That's because even when Adam and Eve were in a state of perfection, they still did not perfectly understand God. Ooh, don't you know that? Yeah, you, you, I mean, you ain't that Adam, you ain't that bad. That's God. Even in a state of perfection, you have, you have room for growth. Yeah. It just depends. You, many of us don't understand what perfection means. Perfection is a word for maturity. If a baby is walking at the appointed time, he's perfect. If an adult is still walking, is still crawling at 75 years old, you understand what I'm saying? 168 168 hours in a week. God's saying, just give me 24. To do what? To renew our relationship with what? What else? To do what? Reconnect with nature. What else? Reconcile our relationship with family and friends. What else? Rejuvenate us for the week to come. What else? Remind us of what is important. What else? Release us for service to humanity. What else? Refocus us on what? On heaven. Those seven things. And then we saw that the Sabbath is a sign. It's a what, everybody? It's a sign for what purpose? That we might what? It's a tool to help us to know God. Come on, say amen. How many, how many, how many know you, you have not maxed out on your need to know God? Anything God's going to give, yeah, I'll take it. Come on, say amen. And so we ought to hollow the Lord's Sabbath that we might do what? That we might what? That we might know. That we might what? We might know that the Lord is God. Now, let's get into what we're going to get into tonight regarding the Sabbath. Part two. Let's get at it. Jesus in the Sabbath. We'll start here. Uh, then we're going to look at Satan and the Sabbath. And then we're going to look at man and his attack on the Sabbath. And then we're going to close with Jesus again. Come on, say amen. Jesus and the Sabbath. Check this out. Uh, the Sabbath issue, the, the issue of Sabbath keeping with Jesus was never about if or when, but what? Okay, why am I saying this? Because there are some people who say, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Jesus died for us. We're not under the law. I agree. We're not under the law anymore. You do know. That's what the Bible says. We're not under the law. We are under grace. Oh, but does that mean that I have liberty to disobey God's law? No. It just means that my method of salvation is not law keeping. My method of salvation is grace. Would you say amen? Some of y'all need to hear that tonight because you're working your way to heaven. You think if you keep Sabbath, if you do right things, that will save you. What will save you is grace. Every day, all day, 24 hours a day. But the issue of Sabbath keeping for Jesus was never about if we should keep the Sabbath or when the Sabbath is. It was only about how the Sabbath should be kept. Do you see that there's a difference there? There's a difference. That was his concern. When he came here, he did, there's not one text in the Bible where Jesus said, all right, y'all, uh, no more Sabbath keeping. Uh, I'm doing something new. After my resurrection, we're going to do something new. We're going to worship on Sunday. Ain't a text in the Bible. Back in the old days, they say, man, I, I, they'll give you $25,000 if you could give one text that shows that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. It's not there. So the issue for Jesus was not how or when, but what? I'm sorry. It was not if or when. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all are with me. Yeah. It was not about if or when, but what? How? The method. Matthew 9. Matthew 15, 9. Let's read that together. What did the Lord say? He says, these people honor me with their what? But their hearts are far from... Oh, Lord, have mercy. 
Don't just brush by that. The Lord's talking about us right now. We got the form of godliness. We know how to do church. We know how to walk a certain way, you know. <laughs> we carry our Bibles the right way. <laughs> we know how to say amen appropriately. We know how to pray. We know how to pray right, you know. Father in heaven. <laughs> oh, great God of Jehovah. <laughs> where did that, what, where did, and it amazes me, man. Some folk get an accent. Folk from the country get an accent in their spiritual conversation. Uh, he said, listen, you honor me with your lips. He said, but what I'm concerned about is what, everybody? He said, but your hearts are far from me. God help us. And, and, and look what he followed. He says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, we're so quick to say, uh, people who keep uh, Sunday worship are traditionalists. And we'll, we're quick to say, uh, people that do the same thing over and over again are traditionalists. And blah, blah, blah. Catholics are traditionalists. And Episcopalians are traditionalists. But everybody in here got habits. The problem is when we put tradition above the word of God. It's hard not to do that. When you don't, it's, hard to, it's, hard not, it's hard not to do that when you don't study. Now, there are five significant Sabbath-keeping statements of Jesus that I want to point your attention to. How many did I say, everybody? Five. five. You need to know these. Number one, the Lord, he said, the first thing he said was, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's in Mark 2, 23 through 28. Point of this is, Christ sets the tone for Sabbath keeping. Who owns the Sabbath? Is it the Jews? Who owns it? That's what he said. Hey, this is mine. Mine. My day. Come on, say amen. Just like my dad would say, this is my house. You can live here, but it's mine. My rules. Come on, say amen. All right, so that was the first statement. The next statement he made was the Sabbath was, and this is what I did. I went through the Bible and I said, hmm, let me see what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath. And so I went in my computer and I typed in Sabbath and I put it in in the New Testament. And then I reduced it to Matthew to John. And every Sabbath statement Jesus ever made, there's five of them. Five. And this is what he said. And I ain't one of these statements talking about if or when. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That's the second statement he made. And his point was Sabbath was designed for man's benefit. In other words, we are not supposed to be slaves to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not supposed to make us depressed. The Sabbath is not supposed to, uh, we're not supposed to not look forward to the Sabbath. That's what was happening in Jesus' day, and it's still happening today. The Sabbath should be more than just two hours at church. The Sabbath is supposed to be a day where you are blessed. If there's a day out of the week that you ought to be looking forward to, it ought to be the Sabbath. Come on, say amen. The next thing he said, number three, he says, therefore, it is lawful to do what? good on the Sabbath. And that's in Mark 3, 1 through 6. It is lawful to do what? Good on the Sabbath. That's the third statement. The point he's making here is that the existence of Sabbath is for the uplifting of humanity. It's lawful to be a blessing on the Sabbath. Come on, say amen. All right, I'm just going to show you what Jesus says. Number four, he says, my father is always at work to this very day and I am too. He says this in reference to uh, a time when he healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. And uh, the Pharisees, the, the church people of the day, had a problem with Jesus being a blessing to people on the Sabbath. They had rules for that. Uh, you basically should not help people, you know, was what they came to the conclusion of. My father is always at work to this very day. My, my father-in-law in Cleveland Heights, some years back, in our Jewish neighborhood, 
Uh, somebody had a 911 emergency situation. They called my father, came and got him, to ask him to call 911 for them. That ain't Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to, be, to bless folk. But I ain't going to kill you if you try to save somebody's life. <laughs> uh, the work, now here's the point of this. The work of redemption and restoration never stops. Jesus doesn't take Sabbath off to stop helping folk. Come on, say amen. While we rest on Sabbath, Jesus works on Sabbath. Did you know Jesus can work on Sabbath? You can't, though. If Jesus stopped working, then you stop living. Come on, say amen. Jesus, work all you want on Sabbath. Come on, say amen. While we're resting, he's working on us. Come on, say amen, somebody. The fifth statement and the final one he says is, be set free on the Sabbath. He said this to the woman uh, who, who, was, who was afflicted with, with uh, the, he said, woman, thou art loosed. Woman, it says, be set free on what? The Sabbath uh, should not be a day of imprisonment. It is to be a day that people are to be set free or released from the world, the power of sin, the cares of this life. The Sabbath ought to be a day of freedom where we are set free. We are not in bondage. Would you say amen? Now, what exactly did Jesus do on the Sabbath? How many think that's a good question tonight? If Jesus did it, whatever Jesus did, that's what I want to do. I think that's safe territory. Come on, say amen. Well, he taught in the synagogue. He healed a man. Now, this is everything Jesus did on the Sabbath. I pulled it up. He taught in the synagogue, Mark 121. He healed a man with a shriveled hand, Matthew 12. He cast out devils from a, from a man, Mark 1. Uh, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, uh, Mark 129. He healed many sick, Mark 6, 1 through, 25, uh, 1 through 5. He healed a lame man by the puller. Somebody's starting to get what Jesus was all about on the Sabbath. Some of you are starting to get it. He healed a lame man by the pool of Bethesda, John 5. He opened blind men. This is every reference to what Jesus did on the Sabbath. He opened blind men's eyes, John 9, 14. He healed a crippled woman, Luke 13. He ate at a Pharisee's house, Luke 14. He healed a man with dropsy, Luke 14. That's what Jesus did on the That's it. That's all the Bible reveals Jesus did on the Sabbath. Now, let's summarize what we just read. There are three things that I found out Jesus did on Sabbath that show us what Sabbath is about. Number one, he went to the synagogue. Jesus had church. Come on, say amen. Jesus worshiped. Come on, say amen. Just now, just because he was Jesus. Now, this is amazing because some of us try to find excuses not to go to church, and you're not even Jesus. Je Jesus himself went to church. Come on, say amen. If the Lord needed to go to church, Lord have mercy. <laughs> What are you doing? Come on, say, and, and the folk he was going to church with was trying to kill him. I ain't going back to church. Them folk over there, they talking about me. And I... The Lord went to the church. Where, and with nobody in there but his enemies. So the first thing we recognize about what Sabbath is, Sabbath is about worship. Sabbath is about what, everybody? Worship. Sabbath is about worship. Then the next thing we recognize from the life of Christ is that Jesus ministered to people's needs. Now, the majority of what the Bible records Jesus doing on Sabbath was healing folk. That's what he did. The Sabbath was a day for him to release men, to free folk, to heal folk, to bless folk. So he ministered. So the Sabbath also for Jesus was a day of what, everybody? A day of what, everybody? A day of service. Many folk think they're keeping the Sabbath by yeah, going to church, eating a big meal, and going and taking a nap. Now, the Sabbath is about rest. Come on, say amen. Amen. Okay, okay. Amen. The Sabbath is about rest. 
listen, I think you should, you should, you should be free to take a nap on the Sabbath. But I'm just telling you that it should not just be about uh, killing your time and catching up on sleep. Get some sleep throughout the week. Go and be a blessing to somebody. Don't sleep for four hours. Take an hour and nap, then go help somebody. Come on, say amen. Jesus ministered to people's needs. Then number three, he fellowshiped. And as a matter of fact, he fellowshiped, especially the Bible says, with his enemies. So it's a day of what? And it's a day of what? And it's a day of what? It's a day of fellowship. Now, what was Jesus trying to say? There are 27 recorded healings of Jesus. 27 recorded. 35, 35 miracles altogether. 27 recorded healings of Jesus. Nine of them are recorded healing or Sabbath healings. That's one third. Seven specific recorded Sabbath healings. Specific recorded Sabbath. Almost more than one third of the healings of the suffering, afflicted, and sick people were healed and restored on what? Y'all get it? Y'all get what the Sabbath should be about? It should be a day. Notice now, it should be a day when we are restored. Healing ought to take place. Sabbath is about God touching his people in a life-changing way, restoring God's image. The Sabbath is a day to get back connected with God. Sabbath is an appointment with what? Sabbath is an appointment with who, everybody? God has set his Sabbath. One of my favorite writers says this. God has set his Sabbath at the end of the week in preparation for the pure kingdom, which admits no transgression. And I told you last week, if that's Saturday at the end of the week, the Sabbath, and this is Sunday, then what I'm supposed to be doing is preparing for this day. Friday is not the only preparation day. Preparation day starts when Sabbath ends. So I start preparing for Sabbath as soon as the Sabbath is over. Because that's when I, that's the best day of the week for me because I get to spend time with God. I get to get connected with God. I see, I love him so much. I just got to be with him. And so I'm looking forward to it. It's almost like my wedding day. Come on, say amen. I didn't say my wedding night. I said my wedding day. Come on, say amen. I say, I know what you're thinking. Come on, say amen. I'm, I'm just glad to see my wife. Come on, say amen. See her walk down the aisle. Come on, say amen. Hey, Lord. And so I'm excited about this thing. Yeah, you're getting ready. You know, you're planning, huh? You're making sure everything is out the way. You're making sure things are in order. You, ain't, you don't got time for the game. You don't got time for stuff. Hey, this is my day with God. And so Monday comes and you're getting pumped up. And Tuesday comes and you're getting excited. And, and Wednesday comes and you can't help yourself. And, and, and Thursday, and then by the time Friday comes, you're just tightening everything up. Because this, hey, because preparing for the end of the week, the Sabbath, is like preparing for the coming of the Lord. And so that's why we ought to be excited right now because Jesus is coming. Somebody should have broke out in the shouting right then and there. I said, Jesus is coming. Where y'all at in here? Y'all ought to be getting pumped up about this thing. Ah, Jesus is coming. And I can't wait. And so every day I'm planning for the end of the day, just like I'm planning on Sunday, just like I'm planning on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday for the Sabbath. I'm planning the same way for Jesus to come. And God gives you, <coughs> excuse me, God gives you 52 times. Of practice. Somebody say practice. 52 times of practice to get ready for that, for that day when he shall come. Now, what does Satan, what, why does Satan specifically hate the Sabbath? Some of y'all didn't know he did, but he does. Satan hates God's law. And Satan specifically hates when we worship God. Y'all know that Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Ezekiel uh, chapter 14 and Isaiah, I believe, 11. Satan hates worship of God. Let's, let's break this down. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, together, together, for though we walk in the, we do not war according to the, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. A summary of that text is, is that the, the war that we are fighting is a spiritual one. Somebody say it's spiritual. Now look at your neighbor beside you and say, this is spiritual. Don't lose focus. Tell them, tell them this is spiritual. Don't lose focus. Now say it and mean it. Now, now do it again because I, I, y'all ain't cooperating. This is spiritual. Stay focused. It's a spiritual. Stay focused. Now say it to somebody else. Say it to somebody else. This is spiritual. Stay focused. You don't have no human enemies. You don't have any human enemies. It's not really the problem. This is a spiritual battle, and the, and the whole battle is based on this, to cause us to disobey, to destroy the knowledge of God. Look at Isaiah 14. The Bible says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, talking about Satan, O son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to be better than God. He says, and I will be like the most high. This is what Satan is saying. He hates God. And he hates God because God is God. He wants to be God. Ezekiel 28 says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Talking of Satan. Uh, his name was Lucifer, but it changed to Satan. Come on, say amen. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And so what happened next? Bible tells us in Revelation says that when he got all high and mighty and start thinking he was better than God, come on, say amen. You know how it is when your kids think that, you know, they start getting a little high and mighty around them teenage years. Huh? It's because they learned a few things in school and got a little fuzz on their on they lip. Huh? Little girl got little hips on her now. And so all of a sudden she thinks she can swing her head a certain way. You got to let them know every now and then. Hold on. You, well, this is still my house. Come on, say amen. It's created for your benefit, but you better recognize who you're dealing with. And so after God bore along with him, and then God finally said, Bible says, and war broke out in heaven. Michael, Jesus, and his angels fought with the what? And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Jesus kicked him out. <laughs> and he can still do it today. Anybody dealing with the devil? Guess what? God beat him once. Actually, that's, that's kind of not, that's taking credit from God. God beats him every day. He's just making him feel like he's winning. Come on, say amen. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 3 of chapter 12 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head, talking of Satan. And his tail drew a third of the stars. Stars in the book of Revelation, according to Revelation 1, refers to angels. Satan's influence and trying to take credit away from the exaltation of God, he then influenced some angels to join in with him. And that's why we call the devil's associates demons. They used to be angels. And they all mattered God. And so he influenced them. And so this is the warning that the word gives to us. In verse 12, it says, whoa. Come on, somebody say whoa. <laughs> uh, hey, 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 careful. Are careful to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down. How many of y'all know he come down? <laughs> for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. 
What are his methods? John 8, 44 says that he is a liar and a father of lies. I got the old folk used to say, old school, old school, you say, if, if it's 99% true and 1% a lie, how many know it's all a lie? Come on, say amen. How many know it's all a lie? Come on, say amen. And so this is Satan's method. And you're not too smart not to be deceived. You got to know him. Revelation 12, 9 says, so the great dragon was cast out, that old Satan of old. And, and notice now, who deceives the whole world. Satan's method is what? Deception, everybody. Satan lost heaven because of disobedience. And he knows that the way to get you to lose out on heaven is to disobey. Two, need, two, two needs that man was created with uh, in creation that Satan is attacking. There are two institutions that, that the Lord created in Genesis. And, and by the way, I told you, Genesis 1, through th- Genesis 1 through 3 tells us everything we need to know about salvation and living in the entire Bible. The rest of the Bible is nothing but a summary of Genesis 1 through 3. Everything is in there. Everything is in Genesis 1 through 3. How to get saved? Come on, say amen. How to establish a family? How to take care of your body? How to relate to God? How to pray? How to repent? It's all in there. How to keep the Sabbath? It's all there. So there are two institutions that God created in the book of Genesis. Uh, the, first, the first three chapters that Satan hates. Number one, relationship with family. God created family. Come on, say amen. Adam and Eve were family. The relationship was there. How many know that the enemy is attacking that? Do y'all see it? As a pastor and as a clinician, I'm going to tell you right now, there are two areas, and uh, there are two areas right now that I see the enemy really working on God's people, and that's in family, and that's in spirituality. Black, y'all black folk not even going to church no more. Y'all ain't spiritual. And then on top of that, see, when you're not spiritual and spiritually minded, when he can come into family and all kind of stuff can happen. You know, daddies will touch their children inappropriately. Uh, you know, the kids will get mad one day and blow their parents' brain. Anything can happen when God ain't there. Anything. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Y'all sitting up here acting like ain't nothing, you ain't never had nothing crazy that happened in your home. I got my hand up right now. And the truth of the matter is, when God is not there, expect the whirlwind of unrighteousness. And the second thing he created was the Sabbath. Now, these two things that God, institutions that God created, represent two needs that man has, even in his perfect state. Although man was created perfect, he still had needs. These needs reflect the law of God. Y'all not, y'all not, y'all not with me. This thing is heavy, man. Y'all not with me in here tonight. Come on now. Y'all want me to give y'all bubble gum? I'm, listen to this now. Look how deep God is. The law of God has always existed. God didn't give Adam and Eve Ten Commandments in stone because they didn't, listen, they had no problem remembering anything. Their minds were perfect. So he gave them two principles to understand how to relate to him and to each other that relate the whole principles of the law of God. The law of God is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's love, love for God and love for one another. The family was created to teach us how to love one another. And the Sabbath was created to teach us how to relate to God. Those two needs we have. Come on, say Amen. Satan has made war on both of them, right in your face, right before your very eyes. We live in a nation right now where there's no regard for the Sabbath, none. 
No regard. It's not I mean, even the folk that claim they keep the Sabbath. They don't, they don't get, they ain't no Sabbath. They go to church. And that's it. It ain't Sabbath after that. And, and it's got to be something wrong with the Sabbath keeping that's going on because folk are, are, are supposed to be getting filled up with God, rejuvenated with God, renewing their relationship with God. And when they've done church and they're done with their set, with their 24 hour keeping of what they call the Sabbath, then they go out and they act like hellions. You got 52 chances out of the year to get connected with God and your family and you still acting like a hellion. Something's wrong. Are y'all hearing me now? It's not just the legalistic keeping of a day. Now let's make another shift. Because Satan hates the Sabbath and said Satan hates the family. But notice now how Satan and his slick self try to take this thing a step further. Introduces where we are. How did Sunday become the popular day of worship? How? Now, now Jesus, we just saw, has, has not, there's not one utterance from him that Sabbath is Sunday. Not one. There is not even a text in the Bible that says, uh, uh, since the resurrection of our Lord, Sunday will be the new day of worship. It don't, it don't even say that. So for those who are arguing that we should worship on Sunday, why? Because he rose on Sunday. He did a lot of good things on a lot of days. Oh, well, that's not fair. You, you, tearing, down, you tearing down the resurrection. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to figure out where in the Bible. Are y'all with me in here right now? Where in the Bible? Show me the scripture. And here's the point I've been making. I make my claim on the Sabbath not based on any other part of the Bible except Genesis, the second chapter. Because in Genesis, the second chapter, that's the way God created the earth and that's the way he wanted it to be. Period. You know, amazing me how people make the argument that, you know, God, you know, the argument now that, you know, they got folk, you got two men who are trying to be married now. And they got common law, you understand, new definitions of marriage. And you know, they immediately, the Christians, they appeal, they appeal to Genesis. And they will say, no, 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 there can't be two men that make a, a, a marriage. That, that's not no family. That ain't biblical. That ain't a husband and a wife. That ain't, ain't no such thing as Adam and Steve. Come on, say amen. Or Eve and, Eve and Adam and It ain't in there. Come on, say amen. And so they will appeal to Genesis, won't they? And they'll say, in the beginning, God created marriage, right? So why don't they go back to Genesis and also appeal that God created the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was made on the seventh day and we ought to work? Are y'all following me in this thing? Bible predicted an attempt to change the Sabbath. Did you know that? In the book of Daniel, a little horn power who you will study and find out as a Roman Catholic church under the leadership of the Pope. The Bible says in uh, Daniel 7 and verse 25, he says, he will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints, persecution, you study that in your history, and try and try and try and try and try to change the set times and laws. How many know what God establishes you can't change? I hear some folk, they make the mistake of saying they change the Sabbath. Ain't nobody changed nothing. You can't change what God has established. Come on, say amen. If the sun comes out, I don't care what you say. You can yell at the sun. You can shoot a rocket at it. You can shoot a, a, a nuclear missile at it. How many know the sun going to still be there? Come on, say amen. What God sets up, we'll, we'll stay together. People bothering you. If God has given you something to do, if God has called you to do some folk can bother you. But what God has blessed, what God has established, no man can take down what God has established. But they try. What power has claimed authority to change God's law? Here it is. 
And we read this from Prompta Biblica, and this is uh, uh, the Latin document of the Catholic Church. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify divine law. Since his power, now this is not, an, a, this is not, this is a Catholic reference, reference book specifically dealing with the, theological issues as it relates to Catholicism. And their belief is, is that the Pope is so great of authority and power that he can modify the divine law. Since his power is not of man, but of God. And he acts as vicegerent of God upon the earth. You a lie. That's some dangerous talk right there. Come on, say amen. All right. The Christian Sabbath. This is, their, this is their book, The Christian Sabbath. Look it up. Page 16. The Catholic Church. This is their belief. For over 1,000 years before the existence of a Protestant by virtue of her divine mission, change the day from Saturday to Sunday. We admit it. We're just telling you. This is what we have done. This is what they're saying. Okay? Uh, Converts Catechism. This is their doctrinal book. <clears throat> if you become a Catholic, they'll give you one of these. And this is what you're supposed to study in order to be a good Catholic. And in there, this is what they say. Which day is the Sabbath day? Saturday is the Sabbath day. Uh, why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Uh, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. So if you're a good Catholic, you're reading this and you're saying, praise, praise God. Praise the Pope or whatever, whoever they praise. Praise the Pope. Well, I see. It's right there. No Bible, though. You can't, you can't have a Bible next to that and, and, and get excited. Come on, say amen. But this is how they feel. And we're not here to badmouth them, but this is false teaching. Come on, say amen. Because the Catholic, this is what they say, the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. They admit it. And so why do they make such a bold claim? You have to understand how they think. Like two sacred rivers flowing from paradise, the Bible and divine, by the way, let me just say this real quick. When, when, next time you watch television, Anytime you watch a religious scene in television, just to show you the power of the Catholic Church in this world that we live in. Anytime you watch any religious scene, take a note of it. It's always Catholic. It could be a funeral scene in a movie. And it's always, and, and, and it's always Catholic. Like two, now here's your theology. Like two sacred rivers flowing from paradise, the Bible... And divine tradition contain the word of God. What's wrong with that statement? Talk to me. What's wrong with that statement? It says, it says, it says, there's a key word in there that, that, that makes this statement error. First of all, it says sacred. That's wrong. Because tradition ain't sacred. And, and then it says flowing from paradise. Tradition doesn't flow from paradise. Uh, and then it says divine. Tradition ain't what? And then it says contain the word of God. Tradition does not what? It doesn't contain the word of God. But this is their thought process. You have to understand this. This is their thought process. So, goes on to say, in the book Catholic Belief, page 33, though these two divine streams are of equal sacred... Now, come on now. They're of equal sacredness, but now, now they're really going to tell you. Still, of the two, tradition is to us more clear and safe. And you better not say amen there. You better not give me no self-righteous amen. Because 90% of us in here believe the same thing. We don't say it with our mouths, but we live that way. If we have to make a decision between trusting God and trusting what we think is right, nine times out of ten, most of us go with what we think. Uh-huh. Say amen. Say, are you mad now? You thought tonight was let's go beat up on the Catholics. No, we want to deal with anybody that refuses to put the word of God at the center of their life. You're struggling financially. You got more month than you got paycheck. 
and the Lord says, return unto him a faithful tithe and offering, and you say to yourself, I can't do it. Guess what you're doing? You're making tradition more powerful than the word of God. When somebody mistreats, excuse me, when somebody mistreats you and says something nasty about you or your family and you want to retaliate, guess what you're doing? You're putting your idea above the word of God. Are you hearing me in here today? Anytime you sin, you are placing your value system above the word of God. But in this case, this is error because tradition, they say, is to us more clear and safe. How many know that's not true? Martin Luther, you ever heard of him before? He is the Christian leader uh, in the age of the Reformation who, as a Catholic priest, a Catholic monk rather, came and said, Lo, wait, what, the stuff I'm reading does not line up with the Bible. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And he fought the Catholic Church. That's why they're Christians today. Every church came out of the Catholic Church. Baptists, everybody. But there was what we call the Reformation when they said we got to reform and go back to Christianity. And thus Baptists came out of that and Methodists came out and Zwingli and Wesley and all these historical figures. People were burned and killed at the stake because they refused to put tradition above the Bible. H.H. H. Holtzman in his book Canon and Tradition, page 263, a little history here. Finally at the last opening on the 18th of January. 1562, all hesitation was set aside. The Archbishop of Reggio, the history, made a speech in which he plainly declared that tradition stood above scripture. The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures. Because, the, and this is his argument, this is why he's saying that tradition is stronger than the Bible. Because we changed, the church had changed the Sabbath to Sunday. I'm going to pause here right now. I'm going to talk about this. Uh, I was trying to squeeze it. I don't have time to talk about it. The influence of the Catholic Church on Christianity is unreal. These are folk going to pray, and they're going to keep doing that. So y'all don't keep getting distracted. The Catholic Church's influence on Christianity. Catholics are not considered Christians, according to mainline, mainline Christians. Anytime you lift a man or anything above Scripture, then we feel that that is not Christianity. Come on, say amen. <clears throat> but their influence is not just in what we perceive to be just the Sabbath. Even the way we do church is very much Catholic. If you look at this sanctuary right now, it's set up Catholic. So you have to, the point I'm making here is that their influence has seeped into many different areas of Christian life. They were the church. The word Catholic means universal. But God's people began to study. <laughs> they began to dig into the word. They began and at risk of their lives, y'all. These folk, some of us, we, we won't study the Bible because we're just too busy. These folk were getting killed. They took the Bibles. They, they took them away. They, trans, they put them in Latin so the folk couldn't read them. Didn't teach folk how to read. And then they chained the Bible to the top, put a key on it, and told the priest he's the only one that can break it down. They put it in Latin. Now there, Gloria, Excelsius, in there. And the folk didn't know what was going on in church. And then some folks said, we're tired of this. We want word. We want, what is God saying to us? And they were so hungry for truth. Somebody say truth. That they put their lives on the line for it. Folk were burned at the stake. They took folk and raped them and killed their children. But they said that we will stand on scripture. 
God. Give us a generation of folk who are not afraid to stand on the word of God. No matter what your family says, no matter how many generations of folk in your, in your household have kept Sunday as the Lord's day, you've got to stand on the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Let me move on here. Here's another statement. Catholic Cardinal James Gibbons. He says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. Thank you, Cardinal uh, James Gibbons. Thank you, brother. Thank you for admitting it. Now I wish the rest of Christians would admit it. Come on in here, talk to me now. I ain't mad at them. I love them. But let's, let's be honest. Tell me, a show it to me. I've read this Bible through 13 times and I've not found it one time. Show me a text. Is it there? He said, you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of what day, everybody? And then they went on down there to Galatians 4 and so forth. God is to let no man judge you. <clears throat> Feasts and holy days. Well, that's right. Let no man judge you. Because no man can judge you. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. amen. But it doesn't say God ain't going to judge you. <laughs> hey, if you get to the judgment, you better make sure you've done what God says. No man should judge you. That's in line with what Jesus says. Jesus says that we are not judged, lest we should be judged. Clovis Chappelle gives us more ammunition. Says the reason we observe the first day Catholic, instead of the seventh, is based on no positive command. Or, or one will search the scriptures in vain for authority for changing from the seventh day to the first. Now, the church changed God's law. They attempted to. Now, let me say this. Does this mean that folk who ain't keeping the Sabbath are going to hell? I can't wait to tell you about that on Tuesday night. We talk about the mark of the beast. Uh, uh, folk uh, folk who, don't, who don't believe in Saturday Sabbath, are they lost? Are they bad Christians? The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says those that are his disciples are those that love God and love people. When you love God, you'll do whatever God says on every level. It's not based on one command. There's some good Christians out there who don't understand nothing about the Sabbath. The reason I know they are is because uh, they're coming in here moving most of us out who acting crazy. Lord have mercy. I that wasn't in my notes. Why did I say that? <laughs> Help me, Lord. How many of y'all know there's some good folk out there? Good folk. Good folk. Some, some folk better than you. Lord, have mercy. Help me, Lord. No Bible better than you. But in one area, they don't know that. And y'all, they're not going to be saved. No, no, no. We are not saying that. Don't nobody walk out here and quote the pastor and say, folk that don't worship on Saturday are not good Christians and they ain't going to hell. What I am saying is this, that God has a command. And that when we come into a knowledge of God's truth, that we must obey the word of God. In every point. The word of God. Matthew 15, 3. As we get ready to close this thing. Listen, now this was, this was Jesus' burden. Why do you transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. Why? I gave you this word. I gave you this life-changing, with my word, I spoke, and stuff starts sprouting up. With my word, I spoke, and, and waters divided, and, and, and atmosphere, and oxygen came into existence. With my word, I spoke, and whales, and dolphins came alive. With my word, I spoke, and eagles began to soar. With my word, I spoke, 
and insects and bugs and bees. And are you are you hearing me? I, he, he's what he's saying is, is I can you can trust my word. Why are you adding to it? Why are you trying to take from it? Why are you trying to put your spin on it? He said, trust my word. And listen, let me explain this to you now. I do not understand why God chose the last day. The, I mean, I've tried to explain it. Why is, Sabbath the Saturday, why is Saturday the Sabbath? Who cares? Because he said so. Come on in here, somebody. Let's not fuss and fight over stuff that doesn't matter. That's what I love about God. I remember when I was a kid. See, we let our kids get away with this now. My dad would say something like, go upstairs. And I'd be like, why? Now, when my dad did one of these numbers right here, I don't know why brothers did. What does that mean? I don't, but for me, it meant run. <laughs> and hide. Come on, say amen. And repent. Come on, say amen, somebody. One time I got out of line real good. My parents were having a dinner party and I, and I said, some smart. Lord, help me. I got a smart mouth. I, you know, stuff just comes out. It's, it's a good thing when it's wit. It's a bad thing when it's sarcasm. And so my mom had said something and she said, boy, go upstairs and pray. She didn't want to whoop me in front of everybody. She says, you need to go upstairs and pray. <laughs> I don't know, I must have been seven years old. Uh, and so I marched up, you know how I marched up the stairs and prayed. I know my mom wanted to whip my behind right then and there. I made this to do, and I went upstairs and prayed, and I really sought the Lord. I began to seek him. Yes, I did. I prayed and asked this Lord, help me. I don't know what I said, you know. And then when I was done, she said, when I was done praying, come downstairs. So I was done, and I came downstairs. And then in front of all the company, she said, now what did the Lord say to you? And I said, keep up the good work. I heard him say it. You got to be careful. Come on, say amen, somebody. Huh? How did I get on that? I don't know. How did I get on that story, huh? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because we put the tradition above God's word. Lord have mercy. We can't, we, and many of us try to convince us there's just an arbitrary, if God says do it, do it. Your whole family can do the other thing. Go, but see, it's, we have a mob mentality. It's hard for us to go right when everybody's going left. And we always talk about the kids. The kids, they're so influenced by peer pressure. You are too. If we weren't influenced by peer pressure, everybody in here would, buy, would, would drive a hoopty. Well, I got to have... No, you don't. You can get the basics. Come on, say amen. We like to look good. We like to be a certain way. We like to be thought of a certain way. But when it comes to the word of God, we've got to take a stand on his word. Everybody can go left, but we've got to go right. Constantine, the same one that started calling churches buildings and a bunch of other heresies, in March the 7th, 321 AD, Roman government and the church became a family. And he called Saturday a holy day and Sunday a holiday. Now the reason why the, why the Roman Catholic Church tried to get rid of, one of the reasons, the Seventh-day Sabbath, is because at that time, they were trying to rid themselves of Jews. And so anything that looked Jewish, like the Sabbath, they tried to get rid of. But in their doing, first of all, they were wrong in trying to get rid of the Jews. But in their attempt to do that, they took away what God commanded on the venerable day of the sun. According to the history, let the magistrates, this is their declaration, and the people residing in the cities rest, and let all the workshops be closed. 
in the country. However, persons engaged in agriculture may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits. This is what they're saying about Sunday worship and their establishment of it. In the year 325, Sylvester, Bishop of Rome, changed the title of the first day, calling it the Lord's Day. That's where that terminology comes from. Now, now check this out. It's real simple. If they're killing Jews, and they would call, they would call Sabbath keeping in those days Judaizing. So if they're killing Jews because a political figure named Constantine says, no, 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 no. We got to get everybody spiritual. And we, gotta, we, we, gotta, we need to make Christianity popular. So let's make Sunday the day. That's the day I'm choosing. And so everybody, they, they're killing Jews. They're taking their property from them. Are you hearing me now? They're taking jobs from them. And you're saying to yourself, I got to choose between taking care of my family and working on God's, uh, and, and, and keeping God's Sabbath. So you got to know, because of the pressure, somebody say pressure, because of the pressure, people began to give in because they didn't want to be socially ostracized. They didn't want to lose stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, true faith is the kind of faith that's willing to do what God says, no matter what the risk is. This is what they say. They say, Christians shall not Judaize or keep the Sabbath and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. So he went flat out against what God said. But the Lord's day, they shall especially honor. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, keeping the Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ. So the church was telling people, if you keep the Sabbath, then you're excommunicated from Christ. And listen here, when people, and I'm going to teach you this on Tuesday night, when you don't know the word of God for yourself, people can, important people, and I'll even use myself as an example. If you don't go back and study what I'm saying, I know I have influence. I know that. And it's amazing. When you preach, I know, the, I know the art of public speaking. There are certain ways you can say certain things and you can get people to respond to them and they'll believe you. Like, depending on what mood I was in and what mode of the moment we were in, I could say something like this. God helps those who help themselves. And y'all would say, yes, sir, pastor. But how many know? That's a lie. You know, it ain't a text in the Bible. Most of us believe that, that God helps those who help. No, he does not. Because can't none of us help ourselves to be saved. Come on in here, somebody. But God helps your carcass out anyway. He specializes in helping folk who can't help themselves. That's what he does. <laughs> but see, we allow the influence of people to get into our heads. I'm telling you, we're living in a time right now where fear is being used to get people to believe a certain thing. You've got to be able to stand on the Bible all by your... You've got to have courage. Christianity is not for jellybacks. Got our nice new buildings now and the screens on the wall and we just cool and we don't got no persecution. There are people in other countries right now that are being killed for the name of Christ. In Muslim countries and other countries where they do not believe in Christ. And don't think because you live in the United States of America that it's always going to be cool and, and laissez-faire like it is now. You better not miss Tuesday night. Lord, help me. This, oh, Lord, help me to preach that thing. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians. In honor of what? Of the resurrection. St. Catherine's, May 21, 1995. Now, I put this up here purposely because this is recent stuff. Perhaps the boldest thing, just the, the point I'm making here is that they ain't changed. 
you can see the Pope roll up in here and folk kissing his, kissing his ring. And it amazes me. Now, all y'all, all, everybody now getting excited when they come in. When he comes to the States, folk are, oh, oh. He went out Yankee Stadium. Oh, Father. This dude has gas like me. He got snot in his nose. Come on in here, somebody. He's subject to die just like the rest of us in here. Oh, y'all don't want to pray. Y'all acting too cool in here. He is a man just like the rest of us in here. Are you hearing me? I ain't worshiping no man. I believe we ought to honor and give respect to leadership, but I ain't worshiping no man. The most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century, the holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think, now listen to what they say here. I had to put this up here, y'all. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Sabbath holy. It's what the Catholic folk are saying. Now see, a lot of times what we do when we choose a church, we choose it based upon how we feel about what people are and what they don't do. Them folk down there mean. I ain't being a part of them. They hurt me. They did X, Y, and Z to me. I have not, I have not fallen in love with people. I have fallen in love with the word of God. And the other thing, me and my wife were talking about this the other day. You know, when you make statements like that, <clears throat> well, you know, they're hypocrites. You know, okay, all right. That's a self-righteous statement. The assumption is, is that I do it right, they do it wrong. See, their offense to me is worse than my offense to God. It don't got, listen, Mike Tate is my man 50 grand. I love this brother. But I'm, I'm not here, if I offend him or he offends me, ain't neither one of us going nowhere. If I were to, if I were to cut the fool and leave my wife, my wife ain't leaving this church. And I'm an Adventist minister. I know her walk with the Lord. She ain't leaving this church. She, because she, she's about the word. Oh, y'all not hearing me in here today? It ain't about. It's about what God said. No biblical record. The Bible, and the Bible alone, is our rule of faith. Come on, say amen. amen. As I close, I want to share with you some statements of recent Christians, more popular Christians that we know from their history, and what they have said about the Sabbath, the Baptist Church. Dr. Edward T. Hiscox, a paper read um, before a New York minister's conference in November 13, 1893. He was one of the leaders of the church of the Baptist Church. This is in Baptist history. Is reported in the New York Examiner, November 16th, 1893. This was his statement. There was and is a commandment to keep the holy, holy the Sabbath day. But that Sabbath day was not Sunday. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh day to the first day of the week. It's Baptist now, y'all. Where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament. New Testament, absolutely not. Dwight Moody, anybody ever heard of him before? 
notable Christian theologian and preacher and evangelist made this statement for years, of course. Uh, the Sabbath was binding in Eden. Thank you, Dwight. Where did he say? And it has been in force ever since. The fourth commandment begins with the word, remember, showing that the Sabbath already existed. When God wrote the law on the tables of stone at Sinai, how can men claim that this one commandment has been done away with when they will admit that the other nine are still binding? My dad grew up holiness. And I love holiness. I love everybody. My, my, my grandmother was Methodist. His, but her, his stepfather was a holiness faith healer. My dad, when he joined the Adventist church in the uh, early six, uh, late, late 60s, early 70s, said he already knew seventh day was Sabbath. Said he grew up keeping the Sabbath. He said on Saturday, they didn't work. Growing up down there in, in Greenville, Mississippi. In Green, I'm sorry, Green, uh, um, Greenville, North Carolina. He said they did not work on Saturday. They did not, he said he knew that. He said they went to church on Sunday. See, in their ignorance, they didn't know. He, they went to church on Sunday. He said, but we, he said we knew seventh day was a Sabbath. We just didn't know the, the, the implications of what that meant. And so listen to his statement when he made this, and I have to say this. He says, when I joined the Adventist church, he says, I didn't join because I was trying to get saved. He said, because I was already saved. He says, I joined because I wanted to walk in all the truth. I'm making two points there. One of which I want to emphasize. And that's just because people do not know or walk in the light that some of us know does not mean they don't know Jesus. And last time I checked, what's going to make, what your ticket into the kingdom, your all, all exclusive access pass into his presence is, do you know him? The pardoning of your sins. And if you know him, you will do what he commands. People died for it. <laughs> As we close. Mark 7, 6 says, these people honor me with their lips. Lip service. But their hearts are far from me. And they worship me in vain. Their hands are lifted. They're, they're on note in the choir. They carry their Bible the right way. They sit in the classes. They enjoy the preacher. But they've allowed their own opinion, how they feel, to determine what they do. But the Lord says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules. Lord, I'm, oh, I hope, I hope y'all are hearing me. Our rules taught by men. Listen to me right now. Listen to me. I want to make an appeal tonight. I feel led to do this. The Lord did not call me to do this initially. But I hear God saying, do this. There are two people I want to call tonight. The first group I want to call is this. 
There are individuals tonight. You heard me preach about the Sabbath, but you really spiritually discerned I was talking about your life. Because of your wisdom and what you feel is best, you have been making decisions that have not been in line with God because you do not really follow his word or understand it. And I'm not, I'm talking about how you treat your family. I'm talking about how you handle your finance. I'm talking about how you take care of your body. I'm talking about the decisions you make day to day in life. There is compromise. And we are living in a time where God is saying, I want a people that look at my word and they say it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't have to make sense. I don't have to understand it. it doesn't, I, don't have to, I don't have to intellectually be able to conceptualize it. But if God says do it, was it not naming seven times dipping dirty water? He didn't want to do it. It didn't make sense to him. But he did it. Thank God. And when it came out of that water, he came out healed. I believe today that if we obey the word of God, if it makes no sense to you, if you don't understand, but if you know what he's saying is true, we've got to follow the Bible. You want to follow the word of God in every point? I want you to stand. If you need help doing that, <laughs> when I'm talking about help, I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. If you need help doing that, if you're like the pastor and you intellectually, you can understand some things. But sometimes it's the truth of the matter is it's hard doing the right thing. But if you need a little help, <laughs> if you need some Holy Ghost, I want you to move out of your seats and flood this altar right now for prayer. Let's go old school. Let's go old school revival. Get out of your seat and come down here. If you want to do what God says, if you want to obey his word, if you want power over the enemy, help us tonight. Help us tonight, God. I, 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 I dare you to trust him. <laughs> I dare you to put your confidence in him. I dare you to.